Dave, now that we're in the new year and we've had all of our New Year's parties and New Year's Eve hangovers and so forth, uh, I, I got thinking about the worst whiskey sour I ever ordered. You want, <laughs> you want to hear about this? <laughs> the worst whiskey sour? Sure. How could I not sign up for this story? This yes, was what is this? The worst whiskey sour I ever ordered. I was in one of those bars where there was like a, a hundred types of whiskeys. It was like a fancy whiskey bar. Was this like and, a hotel adjacent bar kind of a thing? Uh, no, no. It was actually like a, it was a very nice restaurant, but but the hook to the place was that they had oh, you know hundreds of different types of whiskeys. Okay, type of yep. And so I'm I'm at this place, and and I'm one of those guys that rehearses their order in their head over and over again, so I can I can be the one at the table that does it right. You know, I, I don't want, you know, you know, like I, I don't want to be the one that ruins it and makes the waitress wait and, and do I, I want to, I want to say my order. I say it clearly, crisply. I know exactly <laughs> what I'm going to say. And I sit there. If you've ever seen me at a restaurant, my lips probably move. I practice my order over and over and over again oh, in my Brad, head. Bless your heart. <laughs> what, what was 17 year old Brad like asking Susan out to the date that one time oh, on the phone? I never, I never got past the lip moving part <laughs> and never got to the lip moving part oh, either all right. all right that's been brad geiger all week um, so, so it, I, I don't know whether other people do this or not maybe it's just me but so i've gotten to the point where if i order a whiskey sour in a restaurant i've got two phrases memorized also as you know i'm like almost 100% deaf on the left-hand side. Right. So I don't want to get into a situation where I have to answer a lot of questions. I don't want to answer because because I can't hear the questions. I always answer stuff that they haven't asked yet. So <laughs> so I, I, I've memorized how to order a whiskey sour. And it, it, I, I, first of all, if I'm lucky, they just say, okay, whiskey sour, and they, they take the drink order. Uh, it, it, but sometimes in, in a restaurant, they'll say, what kind of whiskey do you want? And then I've memorized to say whatever you have in the well, which is, I found out. I actually researched this so I could have my two phrases ready. It's a bartending term, which means they've got like just regular whiskey back there, what they call the well. And if they're making a mixed drink, they just reach for that whiskey. If the recipe calls for whiskey and, and dump it in. Well, that wasn't going to float in a restaurant that prides itself on having several hundreds of types of whiskeys. She she would not just accept whatever you have in the well. I had to. I had to. You had to order had to, a, a certain one. Yeah, draw a line in the sand. Yeah, pick one. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's the here's the problem. Oh with that. no! And suddenly, seventeen-year-old Brad, he's called <laughs> Susie. He's like, hi, Susie, it's Brad Geiger. Oh, I was wondering if you'd like to go to the dance with me. And then Susie surprises 17-year-old Brad by saying, oh, Brad, which dance? Because there's two upcoming dances. And now Brad instantly wet his pants. He's flop sweating. He doesn't know what to do. Oh, you, you've got it exactly right. And it, it's even worse because I got a secret for you. The secret to a good whiskey sour is cheap bourbon the cheaper the better because you're going to dump a bunch you're of sugar put a bunch into of mix it. in it yeah you, exactly all right yeah you 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 want a bourbon and if you can re- get old granddad or wild turkey you got the makings of a damn good whiskey wild sour turkey you, that's you so bottom of the barrel wild turkey that's amazing <laughs> 
I'm telling you, cheap. But now here I am looking at a waitress who's very proud to be working at a place with a hundred different types of whiskeys. <laughs> I can't say old granddad. I because <laughs> she'll probably shoot me on the spot. So now I she asked me what kind of whiskey. I can't say the ones that I know in my brain. And now I feel like everybody in the restaurant is looking at me. You know, that kind of like, like the rest, the, 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 somewhere a record player skips all, all the right, rooms right. and goes, Rrr! every head is turned. I'm sitting at, looking at the waitress doing my best guppy impersonation. You know, my mouth is opening and closing, but nothing's coming out. <laughs> By the way, and- I've seen you do that guppy move. That's not, he's not joking about that. When you truly fuck for Brad in a public setting, he will do the guppy move. Of, the mouth will open and close a few times. It's delightful. I love that in the in the I'm back of your mind, you're you're tr- you're the the mouse is running on the wheel, going, "Can I ask for Walmart brand whiskey? Can I ask for that?" And and get away with it in this place. Like, can I be the cheapest Brad Geiger alive and just ask for? Wa- yeah, Could you have CVS yeah. brand or Walgreens branded whiskey here? <laughs> And, and, you know, I've got like a klaxon is going on in the back of my head. Like I've got to say something. And I'm now so panicked that I can't, I, you, if you would have put a gun to my head, I could not have named a brand of whiskey. I couldn't have named Jim Beam. I couldn't have named Jack Daniels, I, Canadian Club. I couldn't have come up with any kind of what I was completely flummox. So now the klaxon is going on in the back of my head. It's like abort, abort, too many questions, too many checklists. I've got to change my order so I can order something that I can do in one sentence, something that there's going to be no questions. So I say, so, so of course, as you know, my favorite uh, scotch is Laphroaig, right? It's, sure. it's deep, rich, aromatic. Yeah. Yes. My wife says it's like licking a bog. It is like licking a bog. (laughs) (laughs) Very peaty, but it's something that I never order in restaurants because after the restaurant markup, it's, it's more expensive than I can get for a whole bottle down at the state store, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, 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 but, but I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pay any amount of money just to get out of this situation. And I say, oh, forget it. Just get me a Laphroaig. So she takes the rest of the drink orders at the table. She comes back, hands everybody their drinks, and hands me a whiskey sour. And I, I, I go, what is this? She says, that's your whiskey sour. She had made me a whiskey sour with Laphroaig. Oh, with Laphroaig? No. No. <laughs> that's like, for, the- okay, so for the people that don't uh, partake of the alcohol, this is the comparison. Yeah. Of like, you've ordered the finest filet mignon steak, and then you're like, yeah, can you make like hamburger patties out of that? That's fine. Yeah, Just like yeah. shitty hamburger patties at a barbecue somewhere. Yeah, chop that up, throw some filler in there, throw some breadcrumbs in there, and make me a meatloaf. Yeah, throw me, throw some hamburger helper in there. And you're like, it's fine, what are you doing? No, that's, and that's, and I, and, and you can imagine what it, what, what it cost. It was, it was the most expensive, horrible whiskey sour I'd ever had in my life. And I had to sit there and drink it. In the background of your head is just a klaxon going off, going, mortgage, mortgage, mortgage. (laughs) 
us. Oh, and it was horrible. It was it was just awful. <laughs> what, what, a, what a great way to ring in the new year with memories of terrible drink orders. Uh, terrible, terrible how whiskey much, that, How much humble pie did you have to eat, though? Because the embarrassment of like, just pick something, just pick something. Ah, Lafroig! Oh. And then it comes and it's just 40 minutes of you sipping on a terrible Lafroig... Uh, whiskey sour yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and and you know like so the the waitress actually was nice she was like oh if i got that wrong i could always you know take that back and make you another one the people at the table actually said well actually we heard you order and you did order it wrong <laughs> and so the people at the table threw me under the bus uh, as well and it's like well I, I, i'm not gonna talk my way out of this one i better just start sipping on this horrible Lafroig whiskey sour <laughs> <laughs> oh man well it's in the past and we are looking towards the future so i'm gonna say to everybody hello and welcome to comic lab the show about making comics and oh, did i jump in too soon <laughs> I heard you take a breath. <laughs> hey, gang, everybody, just a reminder, we're heading into year three on the podcast. <laughs> and making a living from comics. We got there. <laughs> I'm Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc. And I'm his friend Dave Kellett, the cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and the co-director of Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is brought to you by patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend, because I've got some big uh, bit of uh, good news that's come comics wise in the mail today. Uh, an advance an advanced shipping from my printer of uh, Anatomy of Authors, which, as everybody remembers, <gasps> was kickstarted in the summer. And yeah. Brad, I want to share this moment with you as an as a fellow cartoonist and author, because there is no greater moment of terror slash relief as that 30 seconds when you're about to open the package with the new book that you've made and the 30 seconds after you review the cover and you go oh thank god oh thank god it came out all right like i they're always in the back of my mind i i always think that the printer is going to make some massive mistake like uh they're going to accidentally print a wiener on the cover of my book and i'm going to be like (laughs) well i guess i gotta sell this at comic cons now just i guess i'm the wiener book i guess i'm the guy that accidentally got it a wiener printed on the cover of the book like i you know what i mean like you're always afraid that no matter how many times you check the files no matter how many times you proofread the book that uh in the middle of uh, in the middle of page one is something totally unintentional or a, a big typo or you know that only only you will really jump out and see but so yes, when you when you do yes. that first review of the book and you lay it back down on your lap honestly brad it's like <sighs> it's such a sense of relief when it comes out okay, you know? Oh, do you, do you, I, I, I'm exactly the same way. And actually, I cannot rest until I found it. Because I know in every book, there's at least one small mistake. Oh, it, yeah. it might be, like you said, just something that only you see that nobody else would ever, ever notice. But I cannot rest until I found, because I know it's there. Right. <laughs> it's right. always there. Right. I've never printed a perfect book, uh, but I can't rest until I found it. And, and there was one year that actually it was easier than all the others. Do you remember the first first edition of the How to Make Web Comics book? 
the first for oh boy do i oh boy do i <laughs> we were putting that thing out under the gun and it had so many spelling errors in it the most egregious of which was uh due to yours truly over here who tried to write unsharp mask and wrote instead unshark mask which caused all kinds of great conversation after that. Unshark Mask, uh, for those that are not familiar, is uh, part three of the Sharknado series, um, where <laughs> yeah. Unshark Mask is, uh, yeah, it was is the least uh, popular of the Sharknado movies, but uh, it was... Yeah, it was, it was the least popular of the uh, book chapters, too. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I know you share my joy and relief uh, just because it is, it's such a good feeling when you're like, ah, okay, yeah. I can sell this to people. I can mail this out. I can yep. bring this to Comic-Con. This is fine. Well, even beyond printing, you're, you're sometimes you're like, hey, is there going to be water damage in there somewhere? Did a bunch of books right. get banged up in transit? You know, so you're always searching through. Oh, I had one, a, a forklift literally stabbed through my pallet, <laughs> one of my pallets one time. Yeah. And like one pallet, absolutely fine. The other pallet, just, Brad, it looks like Megatron took his fist through my, <laughs> through my books. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, nine chances out of ten, if you work with a good printer, you know, they're kind of, they stand behind that. But it's still, you still got to go through the process. You've got to, you know, get in touch and prove that there was damage and shipping and all that kind of stuff. It, you, yep. it, it's, it, it's, I've seldom had a situation where I was stuck with, with uh, damage, although I haven't had a problem quite as bad as you described. But uh, but usually nine chances out of ten, you know, they'll they'll make it right, right? Right. Oh yeah, and, and if if they're at all reputable. But yeah. uh, anyway, it's 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 such a lovely feeling, and I want to say a thank you again to everyone who um, backed the book. Um, it's nice to be able to say that in in you know vocal quality rather than just a blog post. Yeah. Um, thank you for backing the book. You're gonna love it. It's coming out great. Uh, it came out great rather, and uh, it's already winging its way around the world, which is fun. Um, and I learned a new rule about mailing to Bulgaria today, Brad. So that Bulgaria was fun. I'd never rules. mailed to, I'd never mailed to Bulgaria before. So little, little learning lesson for Dave about how Bulgarian mail works. And how uh, does fun tip, It's not great. It's not great how Bulgarian mail works. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> Short version, it doesn't work. Um, but anyway, let's jump into it this week. Cause I know you wanted to talk about platform rules oh, about, yeah. uh, about as cartoonists, we are, working on and all this is true of all of us all sorts of different platforms mm -hmm. and so i wanted to give you an opportunity brad to jump right into it well um what what give, give us an outline of what you were thinking there's so much that has been happening uh going back to november and through december and and i and, and into january it throughout comics and throughout creative professionals in general we've got youtube changing uh their rules due to the copa legislation right that has thrown everybody upside down over there. There's a lot of people that are that are really struggling now to stay within those rules, to figure out what the rules are, and to deal with the arbitrary nature in which uh, YouTube is assigning those rules and 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 uh, you know enforcing those rules. And then recently, Smack Chiefs, which was a uh, popular comics uh, web comics host, changed their uh, uh, platform. They got rid of forums. They're starting to do like one of those weird currency systems where like you earn uh, Smack Jeeves currency for reading comics, then you can use the currency to do certain things. They're, they're doing a lot of changes there that a lot of the people that were hosted on Smack Jeeves, uh, you know, were not uh, very happy about. 
And you, we, going further into like Patreon, it was only two years ago that Patreon attempted that uh, service fee uh, 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 deal that they had uh, put out and had such a massive pushback. Uh, and they actually corrected uh, themselves and I think uh, recovered from it quite nicely. But it, all of that, all of those things got swirling together in my mind. And I thought we've got to really talk about living. Uh, if you live by the platform, you're going to die by the platform. Yes. This, what a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And this goes for all of us because I, I'm going to say right off the bat, uh, 80 to 90% of my income comes from one platform. So uh, when I say live and die, I, these are words that I'm, I take very personally for myself too. And, and, and this is a talk that I have in my head with myself quite often. And that is, it, it's, it's, it's one thing to be able to thrive on a platform. And that's something that we're all kind of looking for, right? Is, is you know, we, we've got friends that have found uh, the ability to thrive on Instagram. And we have other people that are killing it on Twitter. We've got some of our friends that are doing fantastic things on Webtoons. And this is all great. And it's something that we all aspire for and, and probably should all aspire for. But there's right. something that we've always got to keep in mind. And it's something that Dave and I uh, have advocated from the very beginning, even as social media has taken over as a publishing uh, a tool, as, as opposed to a promotional tool. Uh, we have to remember the importance of keeping your own website because that's the one place where you make the rules for the most part. And you, you, you're not going to get thrown. You're not going to be tossed by somebody's decision to do something that you don't agree with or something that, uh, affects you negatively. Right. Uh, you always get, so even if you're thriving on webtoons, I'm going to tell you to have your own website and, and that you should be mirroring the two. And you should be, you know, at, at sending people to the website uh, at certain times or using that website as an archive or any number of ways that uh, uh, an online store, et cetera. Uh, you should always have your own website. Even if you're thriving on Instagram, you should have your own website. If you're thriving on Patreon. Well, again, Patreon, as we've said before, is not a publishing. It's a monetizing uh, unit. But same thing, you got to have your website. Uh, right. And it's something that I, I think we need to remind people because uh, I, I got into a whole a conversation with my younger son who was really pissed off at me. But I said, listen, these YouTube guys, I, I get it. I get why they're upset. But they made the same mistake that College Humor made that Dave, you and I talked about not too long ago, where they 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 sent their traffic off of their website they and they divested themselves from their website got suckered in by what turned out to be allegedly fake uh uh facebook uh video numbers and ended up going belly up so it's the it's the importance of having your own site even if you're killing it on a platform you got to be able to drop back to your own site if you need to do you agree well another way of saying cuz Brad very very wisely put it that uh that, you know, if you live by the dad platform, you, you can die by the platform. And another way yeah. I would say that is the platform giveth and the platform taketh away. Yeah. And you <laughs> yeah. are 
If, if they gave you a bunch of traffic under certain rules that you were very happy with, or if they had great ad numbers that you got money from, or, oh, look at all the promotional ways that they could help you. Oh, look at all that. And then they change their policies, or then they change their right. terms of service, or then they change the way they operate, or they get bought out by somebody bigger, and then that Facebook owns them, and suddenly they're a mm-hmm. bunch of dicks. Like, the... Um, uh, what you lived by and and thrived under can change in a heartbeat, as Brad and I have learned. Um, and you know, Keith Knight once told me, um, a Keith of Keith Chronicles and uh, and all sorts of different projects that he's working on, including his new show coming out. By the way, he yeah. once told me, you know, the internet uh, changes every six months, and you've got mm-hmm. to keep your head on a swivel. And Brad and I have said the same thing, uh, and it's really good advice because what what to you is solid ground right now. Oh, Instagram is going gangbusters for me, Brad. There's no way yep. Instagram will ever uh, screw me over. Uh, <laughs> anybody who grew up with MySpace, with, uh, you know, Friendster or any of these other sites that are no longer even exist, like you can't even get to your Flickr yeah. data anymore or your MySpace data anymore. They're just closing those servers down. Yeah. Um, and so what today seems like an, an impenetrable wall of value, like uh, Facebook shall always be with us because Facebook right. is gigantic. Well, let's flash forward to 2030 and let's see how Facebook is doing. Like, it's probably going to oh. be here, but, you know, I wouldn't rely on it. And so to Brad's point, better to have your own site, your own fallback point where uh, it's always there. It's always open to the entire public. Because remember, keep the little mental uh, map in your mind that the internet is like the public streets and everybody can walk the paths and everybody can go down any corner they want. But as soon as you enter Facebook, you're entering into a private club. You're, you're going right. past the bouncer into that private club. So you're operating under their own private rules. But you yes. walk back outside of that club and go to your site that's on a public street with a public access and um, it's operating under the public rules of the internet. And so, uh, when you go into a walled off platform, you are operating by their rules. Mm -hmm. And lest you forget, uh, for most Western democracies, the idea of free speech is not free speech from companies. It's free speech protected from government interference, right? Right. So when you, when you enter their walled off space, you even to some degree sign off on whatever free speech rules they have. So, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever you're currently saying in your comic, it might be fine under Facebook rules now, Instagram rules, Webtoons rules, but if they change their terms of service next month or next year, you got to follow it because it's a walled off space. And it's not a question of free speech because free speech, again, only applies as a governmental control, not as a corporate control. So if you enter a corporate space, you're under their rule. So, yes, Brad, this is a long answer than you wanted, Brad. But, yes, (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree with Brad's point. Yeah. Well, and and it's it's a question that we get on the show time and time again. You know, I've got my comic on Webtoons. Do I need my own website? And the honest, the honest answer is kind of, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be grand or anything else, but this is the time to start building that because you, and, and, and also to, you know, kind of send traffic that way and make note of uh, the fact that it's there and so forth, because you never know when you're going to need to run out of that uh, private club and, and go back to your own club and start uh, slinging drinks or doing whatever you, uh, the equivalent is, uh, you're, you're going to, every now and again, you're going to need your own space again and, yep. and, and you better build it now. So it's already up and running when you need to, when you've got that maybe one last chance to send traffic to it before the platform swallows you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great advice, Brad. I think, uh, that is, 
it is frankly evergreen advice. We'll still be saying that three years from now, five years from now, uh, ten years from now. Um, oh yeah. And uh, so I think that's a good one to, to, to put in your pocket and hold on to. Um, now, Absolutely. also, Brad, you wanted to, to take everybody through, a, 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 speaking of platforms, <laughs> um, platforms that are actively stealing uh, ideas for T-shirt bots. Can you, can you take everybody through that? This is fascinating. Uh, this, this happened in December. And, uh, and I, so I'm going to, I'm going to just pull back the curtain just for a second. Uh, 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 this person, I think he does paintings of wrestlers. I wasn't familiar with them. Somebody had retweeted his tweet and it landed on, uh, my feed. Uh, so I wasn't familiar with this person at all. And he said, Hey, just, just to let everybody know, tell your readers and your followers, never use the phrase. I want that on a shirt. Because when they do, there are bots that scour social media for that phrase. They steal the image and they put it on a T-shirt on, a, on like a, on a hokey print-on-demand site. And I saw that. I call up Dave and I go, take a look at this. This guy's nuts. He's crazy. There's, there's no way you could. I, I had a whole list of all the reasons he, he had to be nuts. Right. 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 <laughs> I was so sure he was nuts. Next day I wake up and this person and uh, I'm going to uh, now there, that, there was a bunch of people that kind of did it. I don't know who was the first, but the one that I saw uh, goes by the Twitter handle Nana and it's uh, Hannah Dukan, H-A-N-N-A-H-D-O-U-K-E-N on Twitter. And this was, and, and again, there were some others too, but this was the first one that I saw. And this was brilliant. She makes this image and the image is just words. It says, this site uses stolen artwork. Do not buy from them. And she encouraged her Twitter followers to say, hey, I want that on a shirt. <laughs> My friend, within five minutes, they found it on a they did like one of those reverse Google image searches yeah. within five minutes. It started showing up on t-shirt sites. No, no. Within five minutes. And all of a sudden it was like, I want that on a shirt. They did a, they went out and, and, uh, and searched and boom, it's on. And there was a bunch of, sh and it, uh, uh, there was a list of about seven different t-shirt sites that were all, scraping this content and putting it up on shirts. And then of course, since it's all, it, since it all goes by algorithms and popularity, once people started commenting on this person's uh, experiment and the more comments that Twitter feed got, the higher it showed in the t-shirt sites homepage until, and then a bunch of people also started doing it. So you'd go to these t-shirt sites and the, you'd go to the main page and the first Two rows of T-shirts are all. This site uses stolen artwork, <laughs> you know, and and inviting Disney copyright lawyers oh and all of God. this other stuff. But it was really amazing the the the, the swiftness with which uh, that uh, these the, these uh, images started popping up on T-shirt sites. Uh, so many people started doing the experiment because it was fun to see. In a, in a in a gallows humor sort of way, I suppose uh, that the next day a bunch of the site a bunch of the t-shirt sites uh, were down. Uh, now, as I haven't checked in a while, but I think they're all back up now. They probably you know patched uh, uh, their their uh, bots. They probably found an even more devious way to do what they were going to do anyway. But there's a couple of takeaways uh, on this that I wanted to share with our readers. And number one is. 
uh, this kind of stuff is always going to happen. And we get, and, and Dave can confirm, we get this question about once a month from a, uh, from a Patreon backer, uh, how do I protect myself from somebody stealing my work? Right. 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 And right. we get that question every month. And the answer is you can't. There's no magic wand. There's no spell you can cast. If there was, we'd know about it. You can, you can talk about cease and desist letters and DMCA takedown notices, and you, you can go through the whole nine yards, but you're not going to prevent it. But what people like Nana and, and a bunch of others uh, uh, that uh, if I get a chance, I'll, I'll put this uh, Twitter thread up on the Patreon post and uh, and and do some hat tips to some of the other people that uh, were doing this experiment as well. Uh, but what they showed us was, yes, this is always going to happen, but we can always, always, always fight it with our greatest resource, and that is our creativity. This person used an ama- used her amazing creativity to really thwart <laughs> these t-shirt bots. Yeah. And the next time that they pop up, uh, either she or someone else in our community, and and hopefully it's one of our Patreon backers, will take this not as a, oh, here we go again, this is horrible, I've been wronged, this is terrible, but instead of all of that, which is useless and pointless and, and wastes energy, instead, remember, you've got a superpower. If you're doing comics, you really do have a superpower. You're operating your brain at probably, in my opinion, the highest levels. You're writing and you're drawing. Two of the, it, 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 creativity uh, on itself is the mo- is is super difficult. But you're doing two forms of creativity at the same time. We can pretty much assume that you've got creative prowess. It's a superpower. Remember that next time <laughs> one of these things come up, you can use your creativity against it. I love you describing uh, uh, creativity as a superpower. I mean, yes, I kind yeah. of agree with it, but it's it's funny. Like, I mean, sure, doctors and nurses, they do a lot, but you know who the real superheroes are? Artists. They are the ones that save the world. I mean, yes, we can talk about the soldier that runs back into a firefight to save one of their compatriots, but I think the real superhero here is someone who put words and pictures together. Truly, they are the finest among us. Take a look at this fart joke I did. Do you want that or do you want an angiogram? Actually, I'll be honest with you. I want the fart joke. Yeah. Yes, the polio vaccine might have been a little bit helpful, but what was really helpful was Garfield. Let me tell you, that's the one that saved humanity. Anyway, I'm that bad Geiger. I'll give you a reason to hate Mondays. It's a colonoscopy. (laughs) I guess you need Garfield after the colonoscopy to make you laugh again. That's right. That's right. Well, that's what they say, Dave. Laughter is the best medicine. Well, you know what? I want to take a moment, actually, because uh, this is not a planned topic that we meant to talk about at all. But I was thinking about this on a walk the other day, um, is that I wish I could thank the artists who truly helped me in a bad moment of my life. Um, oh, we, all, yeah. we all have the art forms that help us. Um, and for me, it happens to either be music, which is incredibly uplifting when you need it to be, or uh, uh, sitcoms. Uh, sitcoms, when I'm truly in a bad place, uh, sitcoms are great. They're really helpful. But, you know, there's no way for me to, to be like, hey, Tina Fey, thanks a lot. Like, I, when, when, what are the odds <laughs> I'm going to run into her? Um, right. or, or, you know, hey, thanks, Beatles, all four of you. <laughs> that was really helpful. 
Thanks for <laughs> thanks Beatles. Thanks Beatles. I appreciate that. But uh, it makes me have a greater appreciation when someone emails me and says, "Hey Dave, I was in a really dark place, and your comics helped lifted me, uh, help lift me yeah. out of that." And um, so, yes, as much as I joke with Brad about creativity as a superpower, there are moments where art is truly salvific and uh, and yeah. is part of the reason what keeps us going in this world. And so as much as I joke around about it, uh, I think it's actually true. I know who I want to thank, and that is the lady who ran the Notre Dame bookstore way back in the day that took those uh, those Dave Kellett books and put them up on the front counter. And I, I've been thinking about this so much. And after those books sold out and Dave said, well, what do I do now? And she put her hand on his shoulder and said, well, you print more books. That's the lady I want to thank because just in that moment of kindness, I, between putting the books up on the front counter uh, where people saw them on checkout and also just giving them that little uh, you know, common sense nudge of, uh, you know what you do next? You print more books. She started, I, I always wonder whether she ever knew just what she started, if she could see you today, uh, what she would think about what she touched off with that one sentence. Well, Brad, it's delightful that you said that because, oh. <laughs> well, hello, Brad. I'm here. It's so nice oh, of you. It's the Notre, it's the Notre Dame bookstore lady. Hello. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long yes, time. Yes, Brad, it's so nice to see you. What a lovely young man you are. Yes, hello. Well, thank you. I... So are you familiar with Dave's career in comics? I am. He's doing gangbusters. And I've just picked up this book of yours, Evil Inc. Let me just open <laughs> this up here. Oh, Brad, you have a lovely future in accounting. This is lovely. This is lovely, Brad. <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I appreciate the encouragement. <laughs> Brad, I'm always here. I'm always here with good advice for kids that are looking towards their future. And I have to tell you, having yeah. flipped through your book, yes. Brad, the world needs its ditch diggers too. And that's <laughs> that's my advice for you, Brad. <laughs> uh, well, I, I guess I guess we can't all be home run hitters. Oh, oh, she's I'll, heading I'll, I'll for the door. That. Oh, there she goes. Oh, is she? Oh, well, that's oh, that was really geez. nice of her to come by. That was that was that was definitely that that Midwest directness that I've heard so much yeah, about. Yeah, you can't you can't shake that. I mean, even in your eighties, it actually gets worse the, the older you get. Yeah, <laughs> God lover. <laughs> God lover. That's Southern. Southern is the, although maybe the Midwest does that too. Southern does the insult wrapped in, in God blessings and like, well, God oh, bless yeah. him. He's uh, dumb as a brick. <laughs> it's always, yeah. it's always preceded by the God bless him or whatever. Yeah. So, well, that, that's the, she's as ugly as a mud fence. God ugly bless her little a heart. mud fence. Oh man. <laughs> Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute and stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, Brad and I are going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. Yeah, because, you know, when you do, you'll get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And an exclusive Patreon post that go even deeper on the Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, no worries. You can still support the show by rating us wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a five-star review and a few kind words. And that, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. And now, let's talk comics. 
So, Brad, I had kind of a comforting thought the other day about cartooning as a career, mm. and I wanted to share it with you and uh, with everybody that's listening in. So uh, this is more for people that are starting your career or thinking about starting a path towards cartooning. And it, I took it as a source of comfort, which is that, you know, the, the thing that Brad and I often get nervous about is when someone emails us and goes, I've been listening to the podcast and I'm quitting my job. <laughs> I'm quitting tomorrow. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a go of it in the comics. This is great. I'm I'm quitting tomorrow. And we're always like, no, 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 no. no. Uh, but the thing that I wanted, the counterbalance to that that I wanted to say, which is kind of a wonderful thing about cartooning, um, and I don't know that we've ever talked about this before, but there's something wonderful about the fact that this is an art career that you can build safely. Yeah. Like you don't have to take financial risk to become a cartoonist or to start walking down that path. It's not like um you want to be a film editor, and so you have to spend ten grand on on software and the the drives and the the equipment to build it. You know all that sort yeah. of stuff. Or you want to be a musician, so you have to spend a few grand on on musical instruments and and tour all the time. Like you can do your forty to fifty hour a week job every week, raise your family, be with your friends, do the things you need to do, live a healthy lifestyle, and still progress towards cartooning. And there's something kind of wonderful about yeah. that. Don't you think? And, and, and now more than ever, that's true. Because as we've said a few times on the show, uh, this whole idea of having like a daily deadline or, and stuff like that is, not, is, is a lot less important than it was. So if you're yeah. just doing stuff and, and just starting out and you're posting Monday this week and you, you post Wednesday and Thursday next week, and then the week after that, you don't have anything. And then you've got three good ones the week after that. Uh, and that's, let's face it, when we're first starting out, that's probably how this is going to go until you find a rhythm and you, you, you settle into a good pattern uh, and, and get good work habits and so forth. Uh, it's probably going to be sporadic like that. And, and don't fight that. Go with it and, and take that positive reward for putting out really good work instead of rushing something out that's not so great, <laughs> you know, just because you feel like you got a, you've got a deadline. Uh, right. you know, it, it, this is a great time that it's never been better in my opinion for people starting out in comics because, uh, the, the publishing atmosphere, uh, is very, very forgiving. As long as you're putting good work out, it's very forgiving. Yeah, it's really, and I think, um, I don't know why I was focusing on the financial aspect, but there's something sort of wonderful about a career where, you can, if you take the long view of it, of like, no, I want to do this. And even though I know it's going to take me five, seven, 10 years to get there, mm -hmm. um, I don't have to risk my well-being. I don't have to risk my family's well-being. I don't right. have to roll the dice on my future. I can build a safe and happy life while pursuing my cartooning. And yeah. there's something nice about that. Mm -hmm. Um that's not true with like an actor. It's really hard, for example. I, and I just say this because it's I'm living in L.A., but like you can't take a day job as an actor. Your casting call might come at 2 p.m. on Tuesday and 10 a.m. on Thursday. Right. And, you know, you got this and that. So there's a reason why everybody's a waiter and works at night. It's because it's the only yeah. time that you can do your casting calls, you know. And so there's something lovely about cartooning. You can work uh, and live a full life and still be a cartoonist nights and weekends and build that safely. Yeah. And, and don't ever let anyone tell you that that's not okay or that you're not an official cartoonist or a real cartoonist because you still have a day job or because you're just doing it in your spare time and so forth. I'm telling you, that was the biggest mistake I made uh, when I was transitioning was I was so hyper-focused on quitting my day job. 
And I thought, I, 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 I really did think, you know, I, I, I left, I think on April 12th, I, or it was a middle of April, uh, 2012. And uh, I still remember waking up that next day and being shocked, shocked that it was a day like every other day. <laughs> Nothing had really changed except in, in my mind, you know, uh, except I, I, I'd made this huge buildup. And and suffered health repercussions as a result. Even uh, don't ever let anyone tell you that your cartooning isn't as serious or as official as the next person. Uh, if you've got a day job, you you do that work and let the work stand on its own and speak for itself. Uh, don't let anyone shame you <laughs> for having a side gig or a day job or or for taking care of your kids or doing any of that stuff. That's all important. That's all good. And it doesn't make you any less of a cartoonist. Yeah, no, Brad, I think that's the perfect way to summarize that. So uh, thank you. Anyway, that was just a topic that I wanted to bring up because it's it's I find it somewhat comforting and yeah. um, I'm glad you do as well. So thank you. That's a good topic. Now, listen, we've been running our mouths here for uh, for long enough. We, we should probably take a question from a Patreon backer at some point. Yes. And it just so happens that Alistair has sent us a great one. And so I want to read it now. He says, when doing a long-form story, it sometimes feels like the writing is the fun, surprising bit, and then the drawing is just routine, making the happen. Or I think he meant making things happen. What are some ways to keep the unexpected in the drawing stage to keep it feeling alive? So in other words, Dave, he's saying you know, he has a lot of fun writing, but when it comes to drawing, it feels like a drudgery. And how can, how can he get more excited about the drawing? So, Alistair, I think I understand where you're coming from because I, I'm guessing that you come from or at least identify with a stronger writing background mm -hmm. than an artist background. Like you really strongly feel energized by the writing and the words are magical and the turn of a phrase and the finding of an insightful idea and the structuring of a story plot and all that sort of stuff. That's what fires you up. And the art is like, well, it's not really my strong point, but I do like comics and I'm, I do enjoy the marriage of words and picture. And so, yeah, I'm doing it. But really, the words are where. I find my magic. And I um, kind of come from a writing strong background myself. So uh, I can kind of see where you're coming from. However, um, I, I something for me is magical in the puzzle piece that is putting together a page or a comic strip or a panel in trying to figure out where everything goes and trying to make it look beautiful and artful and really capturing with pictures, what the words could never convey. Mm -hmm. And and frankly, putting uh, the, the expressions into life, because frankly, there's nothing more fun than perfectly capturing a character's expression, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also, Brad, I think there's the counterpoint moment to writing, which is, what words can I remove from the dialogue or the narration by drawing it? You know what I mean? Right. How can I make this read even faster or more effectively mm -hmm. by removing 10, 20, 30% of the words because I made it self-evident in the drawing? And that, to yeah. me, is fun. That's that's part of the process of, of putting together the finished product of which the writing is only the first step. What are your thoughts, Brad? Well, so the fir my first thoughts are is I totally understand what Alistair is talking about. I totally get it. I've, I've had the same feeling sometimes. And uh, what, it, what always comes down to is when I take a critical look at my own work, uh, what I end up realizing is that if I thought I was bored drawing that stuff, I should have seen how bored my readers were 
uh, reading that stuff. In other oh, words, what a great point. That's a yeah, great point. Sorry that to interrupt you. Boredom yeah. comes through, and it and what it meant was, uh, yeah. is I wasn't pushing myself uh, hard enough on the visuals. And yep. and what I found out having done After Dark uh, is that uh, After Dark is such a drawing challenge. It's such a, ri- a ridiculous amount of there's there's a whole lot more visual that needs to happen there, and it's more complicated and it's more challenging. And I love, love, love drawing After Dark so much that sometimes uh, the public-facing Evil Ink suffers a little bit because the drawing challenges are are still there. They're just not as pronounced as they are uh, on doing the After Dark type stuff. So it, it, it's it's when I'm in that same exact mindset that Alistair is talking about. I've got to remind myself is that if I think this is boring to do, it's probably boring to look at. And it's yep. when I need to take another look at that. And I do, I, I do this uh, quite often. I need to take another look at how I have charted that out and how I have blocked the scene and find a different way to do it. That is more of an art challenge. So, and, and what happens uh, by the way, talking about time management, when I'm working on something that I think the visuals are boring on, it takes me hours to do it. It takes yep. me hours because I'm slogging through. When I'm working on something that I'm challenged by the visuals and really trying to bring my A game, it, it, it takes me minutes to do. Because and nothing I'm can keep you from engaged. drawing because you're so excited. You're like, oh, yeah, I've got this other stuff to do, but I don't care. I want to draw this. This is fun. I'm yeah, exactly. fully immersed. And so yep. what I need to do for myself, and, and maybe you, you're the same way, Alistair, I need to go back and look at that page I'm doing and give myself more art challenges, find some more interesting ways to do those visuals. Uh, and what has worked for me a lot Uh, I'm sure there's a better way to put this, but I, I, as much as I hate to (laughs) hate to use this phrase, I do a lot of family guy kind of crash cuts. In other words, I'll say something. And then in the next uh, panel, instead of having somebody deliver the punchline, uh, especially if it involves like somebody else or another moment, I'll have the person deliver that line in a narration box and then I'll draw the moment. So, for example, I had a joke where the, the, the superheroes need money. They realize they can convince uh, this psychic superhero to give them the lottery ticket uh, numbers. And uh, the joke is, well, do you think you can convince him to do it? And the other guy says, I already have. He did it last week. Great. Where is he? And then the, and then the next scene is this psychic superhero on a beach with a couple of bikini-clad uh, uh, women and they've all got drinks and everything. The narration box is above his head. It's the person who had been talking uh, in the previous panel. He says, uh, you know, I I haven't been able to get a hold of him or whatever. And then the scene is played out, is drawn out. Whereas originally I just had that as a punchline. Right. Right. Uh, great. Right. Uh, have you convinced him to do the lottery numbers? Uh, where is he? And then the other guy says, uh, I haven't been able to get in touch with him. And that was right. like the punchline. Right. Well, instead of doing that, I drew the scene and, yeah, and had so much better. And you can hand that off in a narration box. And I always draw the person, the, the talker's head in the narration box so it comes through smoothly who, who who's delivering what, because sometimes that can get a little bit uh, trippy. 
but I do these crash cuts more and more often because it allows me to, to take a break from that puppet show comic uh, setup where I've got two people facing each other talking, one talk, the other talks, the other one talks, the other talks, and I break that up change the scene. It gives my colorist a chance to throw new colors in there. So it's visually mm-hmm. bracing and it's, a, it's, it's the a big equivalent. Break. Yep. Yeah. And it's the equivalent of a, what they would call in a TV show, like a crash cut where the scene yep. suddenly changes and boom, you've got a completely different scene. Uh, I've used that to snap myself out of the drawing on we that you're talking about. Uh, and, and maybe that's something you can do as well is that, it, it, and just use, I always say, listen to your body, you know, listen to your boredom. Uh, and <laughs> and you're, if your you're getting, no, if you're getting bored, your readers are too. And listen to that. You're a, you're a good gauge, trust your inner editor. And when you're feeling bored, that means you need, need to take another look at that page and give your, and, and find another way to make it visually stimulating. Yep. Not only will you have a better page, but you're going to have a better time doing it. You're going to do it quicker and you're going to enjoy it more. So I want to uh, formally take back my answer. Um, Brad's answer was better, was more insightful. Uh, That's why I'm putting some dramatic piano in the background here. Um, Brad had a stronger answer. Boy, does this music not fit what I thought it was going to be when I hit... When I... I hit the cue for that, and it said dramatic piano, and I thought it was going to be something different, and instead it sounded yeah. like a Yanni uh, concert. That was the worst. <laughs> it sounded like a 12-year-old on a, on a Casio that they just pulled out of the closet. <laughs> ding, ding, tong, ting, ting, and then pretty soon you hear the bossa nova in the background. Anyway, I've invited little Jimmy in here. He's going to play along while I do the podcast. No, but I, for real, I want to rescind my answer. Brad has the better answer. If it's boring to you, it's boring to the world, and... uh Brad's example was great, and I want to give you another example from my own recent experience that I actually texted to Brad because I was so excited with how it turned out. So I had a drive recently that was going to be, for lack of a better description, four panels of talking heads, right? Mm -hmm. We've all done that comic. Character Mm -hmm. A facing character B. I've got a thing to say. I'm responding to the thing (laughs) you're saying. Yes. And very few camera changes, very few angle or lighting differences. Mm -hmm. It's pretty boring, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a little extra time and I was like, this is boring. I don't want to draw this. Yeah. And so I said, what if I turned four panels into six panels? And the way I structured it was um, I had uh, an art. uh, I had a couple of art panels flowing through the middle of the comic so that when they got to that third panel, they were in the middle of an art display that crossed over three panels up the up to the right and down to the left and it's kind of hard to explain Mm -hmm. um all this to say is i made it visually way more interesting and challenging and fun to draw and as a result when i put it up on patreon people were like whoa you've never done anything like this before this is fun look at how this flows this is interesting it makes you reevaluate the psychology of that middle panel because is it part of these larger panels? Is it separated? Is it why is it separated? And it made for a fun conversation about how comics work and how mm-hmm. you can have connected and disconnected ideas across two panels. Anyway, all that is to say is I was bored with the idea of drawing two talking heads and so tinkered with it until I found a fun way to do it differently. And that 100% backs up Brad's point that if you're bored, they're bored. Yeah. So find a way to make it exciting i rescind my earlier answer and i'm now going to co-sign on brad's answer if you're bored they're bored 
Yeah, I, I think that I, I, I think you I, so much of doing comics uh, involves uh, trusting your inner voice, you know, and, and you can yeah. you can learn so much by by just listening to what your your heart is telling you. So listen, speaking of inner voices, I, I, I do you want to use your outer voice for yet another Patreon question? Yeah, sure. Okay, so this one comes in um, from uh, uh, Rod, Raj Solanki, and uh, Raj writes in, Hey, Dave and Brad, first-time questioner. Love the show. Appreciate all you're doing for the comics community. That's very nice, Raj. Thank you for that. Uh, my question is mostly for Dave. Oh, yeah. Raj, uh, this is already well, great. I I'll, love uh, where you're going with this, Raj. I'll turn my microphone off. Go ahead. Uh, that's fine. It's been nice having you. Bye, Brad. Let's all say goodbye. That's a wrap on Brad for the week. That's a wrap <laughs> on Brad Geiger. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. All right. I'm waving over here. Okay. Okay. So let's let's focus in on our new favorite person, Raj. So my question is mostly for Dave. Looking at your social media presence, Sheldon seems to be your main focus. How would you go about having more of a social media presence for Drive specifically? Brad has recently been posting videos of his comic. Is that something you would consider? Are there other ways either of you have seen long form done well on social media? Thanks, Raj. This is a great question. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I will tell you, Raj, that I don't know that I personally have found a great way to share Drive on social media. Um, I have found workable ways, but nothing that really sets the world on fire mm-hmm. for the um, for the big reason that social media, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, um, they love it to be a cohesive, bite-sized, all-in-one chunk of an idea that can be shareable, right? Yeah. If we're looking at virality as the uh, one of the big goals of social media, like you want to get this Evil Ink comic out to 10,000 people versus 2,000 people, well the way you do that is you make it very viral, right? And so and one of the reasons one of the ways, the big ways you make it very viral is not only is the quality good, but it is a it is a single unit that can be shared and understood without knowing any other background, without having to do 10,000 hours of background reading or character exploration. You just need to be able to go, oh, what's this thing that so-and-so shared? And you click on it and you go, oh, that's funny. I like that thing where the pig falls in the mud. I'm going to share that with my cousins. And then um, I don't know why I went into Gomer Pyle there. Yeah, that was a good Gomer, though. Was it? Well, you know, yeah. um, anyway, so uh, where was I getting at? So, Raj, I think personally speaking personally i share drive every week um i share the full page on social media which is something brad and i recommend share the Mm -hmm. actual comic in the feed right yeah um and i always uh you know provide links back to my main site all that sort of stuff and then i also share with drive uh patreon exclusives or sneak peeks little snippets of that and say like hey have you not joined us yet on patreon this is a a tiny taste of all the big stuff you could get on patreon so i I share that also for drive on on uh social media and then i will occasionally share sketches or half thoughts on uh social media but frankly raj i i save most of those for patreon um and then whenever I eBay a piece, I save that. I share that on social media for obvious reasons. But I will be honest that Sheldon is a more singular and cohesive unit that can be shared. A single mm-hmm. Sheldon, you don't necessarily need to know anything about the comic to share a Sheldon. Um, but you kind of need to know a fair amount of backstory with Drive to know, A, what is this? Oh, I guess it's sci-fi. 
B, is this a standalone comic? No, it reads like it's part of a bigger story. C, mm-hmm. do I need to know these characters? Yeah, I guess I kind of do. D, why is it all blue-gray? What's that all about? Like, there's a lot of, like, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why people would not share it. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. that momentary second where people go share or retweet is so instantaneous and split-second. And you can, if you have any roadblocks into why they wouldn't want to share it, then that's why it's not getting retweeted or that's why it's not getting shared. Um, mm-hmm. Brad, what are your thoughts though? What have you found or seen people that are doing long form well on social media? Well, I, yeah, I think you're doing long form just great on social media. And, and there's a, there's a couple of things I want to point out. Uh, okay. Number one. Uh, so evil Inc is long form. I, I, since like 2016, I stopped doing it like a strip and I, I started doing it as a graphic novel. And as I talked about earlier on the show, I, I write that in such a way that it's built to be shared on social media. I try to have a significant point at the halfway mark of the page and at the end of the page so that when I'm stripping that down to put it out on social media, I can have these these significant little story chunks that right. I can I can put out right. there. So can I, I can I interrupt you for one yeah, second though? Yeah, yeah. So Ra- Raj hadn't asked about Evil Link, so maybe let's not talk about it. <laughs> well, then you're gonna feel you're gonna feel good about this because I'm gonna start talking about you again. <laughs> Uh, Brad, I hate to tell you, but Raj specifically had excluded Raj, you, and I yeah. don't think we should be talking about. I think I think we should defer to what Raj. Uh, you know, Raj is on the right path here. Is that we really don't want to focus on Evil Inc. or Brad's work. We want to focus mainly on Dave and Dave's okay. work and how well, impactful Dave's work is as, on the West as, world. <laughs> as it happens, I'm bringing it back to Dave. You don't have to worry. Uh, oh, but I, but okay. I want to Raj, point out. Okay, Raj, we're heading back to safe ground. <laughs> I want to point out that uh, because you 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 uh, you had it all lined up there, uh, Dave does a lot of social media for Drive. It's just that uh, so, so often, particularly long form comics artists think, well, if I'm not sharing my comic, then I'm not promoting my comic. And what Dave just got done telling you is that he does a lot of promotion for Drive, and it's got nothing to do with putting the comic out. Right. It, you, you do right. have to put the comic out. We've talked about social media as publishing uh, several times, uh, and that is part of your uh, approach. But pay attention to all those other things Dave told you that he did along with that in terms of the eBay sketches and, uh, and, and the art that he's sharing and so on and so forth. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to your comic other than just the comic itself. And all of those things are useful for building a community and building a conversation on social media. So when we, when we do that, uh, and we're, we're taking a look at how to promote long form on social media, remember that, uh, putting the comic out there is only one of the formerly three, now four C's of social media, uh, which is content, commercial, uh, 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 kindness, curation, curation. Yes. Curation and compliment. Yes. I, I always want to put kindness in there for some reason, but it's compliment. <laughs> I love that the three C's are okay. The three C's are okay. That's well, what we're one, going those, with here. one of those, uh, yeah. Russian C's. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I remember there's so much more that you can be doing than just the comic. Of course you should be doing the comic. If, if you were, uh, in my, mind, you should be writing it in such a way that when you do strip it down, 
to be put out on social media. You can find those important story beats uh, in social media size chunks. And that is a challenge. There's no doubt about it. That's a, that's a different way of writing that I am going to argue that today's publishing, uh, uh, publishing world kind of demands and whether that's good or bad is up to be argued about. But, uh, but there's a lot more to be done than just the comic itself. And, and the, and again, that's a, creativity challenge for you. That's a way of you using that superpower of yours uh, to to solve a a problem in publishing. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, no, I think Brad's right. And uh, in fact, I want to reinforce that. Raj had also asked, Brad has recently been posting videos of his comics, which Brad does very effectively. um, And I I, I doff of the cap to Brad that that's been brilliant. And Raj asked, is that something that you would consider, Dave? Um, I will be honest, Raj, that I have considered it and I have, for now, put it to the side because um, for for no better explanation than cognitive load, um, at the yeah. moment, I'm kind of finishing wrapping up a Kickstarter. I'm starting a new film project with Fred Schroeder. I'm trying to get what's a tricky part of the process for the children's book that I'm trying to do for 2020. And... Um, I'm at I'm also at a tricky writing moment for Drive where a couple of big plot lines are coming together. So um you can probably understand Raj I I just didn't want to start a new there's like there's ebbs and flows of 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 new projects you can take on and right now is not the time for me to to try like I'm going to jump into video editing that kind of yeah. thing. So uh, I admire Brad's effort and I I really like what he's doing and I would co-sign on anyone that wants to try it. Um, I think it's a, a really dynamic way to use social media, um, especially for long form. But uh, for me, anyway, I, at the moment, I'm 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 keeping it on a back burner or on the side uh, yeah. for right now. The nice thing about that video is that, like like Instagram, for example, has a ten image maximum for a multi image post. By putting it into video, you can skirt around any of those image mediums. Like the image medium on Twitter and Facebook is even lower still. But by doing video, I can get a whole lot more of those panels in a in a in a series, and I can I can get them out there a lot more easily. Very and I, good, I yeah. will I will say this: I've gotten it down to a science using iMovie. I can get one of those. I can get like a uh, fourteen panel Evil Ink page put out, uh, uh, formatted, and put out an in iMovie in about ten minutes. I've wow, got, in really? fact, I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a tutorial for webcomics.com. Uh, but, but there's, there's just a couple of little tricks that I picked up along the way that, so here's the deal. I think you should be, as you're processing your comic, if you're doing uh, like a full page or even if you're doing a strip too, but this is definitely more of a long form thing. If you're processing your page, you should be not only getting the page ready, but you should be getting individual panels separated out because you're going to put those on Instagram and a multi-image post. You can use them on, oh, you should absolutely be posting multi-image on Patreon so that uh, the people reading your Patreon posts on their phone can do a swipe by swipe. It's a much better reading experience oh, for a full page. Yeah. Oh, that was a pro tip from months ago. Yeah. It, it, it makes me crazy that I don't see people uh, across the world you know, listening to my brilliance. But but I really, uh, all kidding aside, I really do think that you should be putting multi-image. Now that Patreon has uh, support for it, you should be posting the full page in the first image 
And then the next image should be panel one, then panel two, then panel three. So you can swipe by swipe. So you're going to prep all those images anyway for any number of reasons. You're going to do that for Webtoons, for Instagram, for Patreon, uh, so, so on and so on, Imager, uh, Twitter, whatever. You're going you're gonna to prep those individual panels. You can pull all of those into iMovie at the same time. It'll bring them in in order. <laughs> you can put a little template up so, so that you can uh, crop it into a square. Uh, it, you, it, you, just by doing a couple of things that you're dealing with all of the images at the same time, uh, you can have this thing done in no time. Uh, it, it really isn't hard uh, to do. Uh, and, it's, and it's something that I, I do have to say, I'm seeing a lot of really good engagement when I'm posting it this way. Uh, it, because I, as much as people like to say, well, that's not how I like to read comics. The, the fact of the matter is, is that the l- numbers are telling me that there is a lot of people that like to uh, consume it that way. So I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, and uh, there's one other thing that I want to add, sort of a capstone, because Brad's was a really good capstone, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Another way to use social media for long-form comics, and it's kind of surprising we didn't mention this, Twitch and Periscope, uh, both uh, great uh, social media presences. Um, If you have a big page that you need to draw, if it's it's an Evil Link 14 paneler, Brad can also be uh, streaming that on Twitch. And it's a great way to answer questions, to uh, encourage engagement, to encourage people to spread the word about the comic, um, and to give the true fans a chance to see it being created. So yeah. that's that's the sort of capstone I would put on that. Um, some different ways that I use. And frankly, if you're looking for someone that does it really well, uh, Carl Kerschel of Isola has a really nice framing device that he puts over his Twitch page that I have stolen, mm-hmm. and I told him that I stole it from it's because it's a great idea it's basically just a a transparent png or or jpeg i don't remember what it is that puts a framing device around your twitch page which with your information and then frames your both your picture in picture and your main uh image and i got that from carl but carl in general does a really nice job of of taking you behind the the curtain to show you how isola is drawn and um it makes the final long form comic very uh engaging so anyway i think raj that'll answer your question and i just want to thank you and encourage all future questioners to direct them all towards what we can all agree <laughs> is the <laughs> I didn't, I'm not even going to oh, finish God. that sentence because it already got Brad I'm going to be hearing it for the rest of the week oh wasn't Raj a good questioner wasn't he great I tell you what I wish we had more listeners like Raj don't you Brad Could hey Brad just texting Raj in the world I want how do we get be the Raj you want to see in the world that's what I say <laughs> It's all the Raj. <laughs> Shall we do one more, Brad? Shall we answer one more question? Because I've got one for you here. Okay. Uh, all right. This one comes in without a name attached, but it says, listening to your five-year plans, you both want to sell your IP to some studio for streaming or film. Here is my question. With some of your older material, the archive that's just sitting there, would you ever take that to a publisher? Also, would it be a no to all publishers, or would you let a foreign publisher not only distribute the books, but also translate it? Brad, what are your thoughts? (laughs) Well, let me tell you what I just heard. Hey, Dave and Brad, you folks are doing really good in self-publishing, and you've found that self-publishing is the way that you've been able to make a living. Why wouldn't you just take all of that, throw it down the shitter, and do things backwards for a few months? Uh, (laughs) Hey-oh! 
<laughs> no, I think that's a horrible idea. And I think it's really important to understand why it's a bad idea. Your archives are what you are building as a self-publisher. It's the whole point of what you're doing is your archives. Because as you're moving down and your career is uh, is, is progressing, you can repackage and, and repackage those archives into omnibus editions and collections and so on and so forth. Yeah, it, you always have to keep control over your archives and bringing publishers in is not a, is taking a risk that I'm not comfortable with. Now, uh, now we talk about distribution and so forth. Uh, now I've got to, I've got to get my, my stuff over. A publisher's going to take it. They're going to print it and they're going to distribute it, uh, overseas. Uh, I, I, I know about how much of my stuff based on Kickstarters and so forth. I know about how popular I am overseas. If I saw huge numbers going to Germany, uh, I'd have to maybe consider that or consider another solution to get more books into Germany. Uh, but that's that's really not the case uh, for me. Uh, and besides, I get really nervous when I'm talking about any publisher having any amount of control over my work because everything that has brought me to this point in life has been uh, avoiding that and watching when other people got tied up into it, watching the bad things that seem to happen to them time and time again. Oh, my publisher went out of business, but they still have the rights, so I can't print the book that I made. <laughs> no, that's never going to happen to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to let that happen. And and as far as having somebody translate it, uh, that might this might be just more uh, specifically me, but so much of what I write is American pop culture and uh, in, uh, using the English language, word plays, stuff like that. Right. I'm playing with language. Uh, it, it's not going to translate a, as well as uh, as something else might. Uh, and and I just don't think that there's a, a huge demand for a for Evil Ink in Polish. As much as I would love to think that there would be, uh, I'm just not seeing it. And and there's so many other things that I can be putting my attention to that are useful in terms of my archives. And I and 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 I think you're on the right track in that I think a lot of people undervalue their archives. I've talked about in the past how I think we're going to start to see in the next couple of years, people are going to start putting their archives behind a paywall and making them, for example, a Patreon uh, a reward. You can unlock the archives. I think we're going to start to see more and more of that. You're on the right track. Your archives have value. Getting a publisher involved, uh, I... I I, I have a visceral response to that. And my response is, it's not for me. Dave, is it for you? Uh, well, I, 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 as always the case, I really enjoy when your hackles get up and like I ask a question <laughs> and it's just immediate piss and vinegar because it makes it so fun to listen to you. <laughs> Um, but I, I will say that 99% do I agree with Brad. I, I think yeah. I, I actually do agree with Brad, but I will say with, um, with a little bit more openness, uh, some, some thoughts here. Now, mm -hmm. uh, I do allow some of my old archives to go to gocomics.com. Uh, 
I've talked about this in the past. It's nothing in terms of money. It's beer and pizza money, but it's for very minimal work. I, I uh, upload, pre-upload like two years worth of comics over there and then literally forget about it. And it, it's it's a, a tiny pittance of pay, but it's a little extra change, right? But my thought is, uh, well, you know what? Uh, it'll, it'll raise the overall tide of my audience. And there's a small mm-hmm. bit of evidentiary um, results to that that seems to indicate that I've had some Kickstarter success from it. I've had some patrons from it. So it hasn't been for naught, but I do not think it's a game changer. And I, I don't even necessarily recommend it. I've, I've already walked that path, so now I'm continuing down that path. But if yeah. I were to snap my fingers and I was off of it tomorrow, I kind of wouldn't care or notice, you know? Right. Um, so there's that. I just want to put that out there. Um, that would also probably be the case if I was on Webtoons or any of these other ones that could kind of republish my archives. Like, it would be fine. There'd be a little bit of money. Um, there'd be an audience, sure. I maybe would be able to direct a little bit towards Kickstarter and Patreon, but that's that's fine. Nothing huge. Um, yeah. But now, as far as taking it to an overseas publisher, uh, I want to tell you, in fairness, when I was younger and more wide-eyed and excited about the possibilities of the world, I was uh-huh. in my late 20s working for Mattel Toys. I think I told you this story, Brad. And um, my, um, my company sent me to the German Toy Fair. And so I told my boss, I said, hey, the week following this, I'm going to go down to Angoulême and take a couple days off. I'm just going to hop a train and go down to Angoulême for the big French comics festival, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, I went down there with a couple of Sheldon books in hand, and I went around, physically went around and took meetings with French and Italian comic book companies, right? Like, oh, this yeah. is big, great, and oh, people in France are going to love this. Oh, this is going to be amazing. I'm going <laughs> to... Uh, two things that I found. One, mm-hmm. uh, I have, to Brad's earlier point, really American-specific uh, humor that is that yeah. that is really keyly uh, or uniquely uh, dependent on turns of phrase in English or uh, a, a generalized understanding of American pop culture that yes, of course, Europeans would would know, but really is kind of focused for Americans, right? Or Canadians. Right. Yep. Um, so there's that. But then also I found out the other dirty little secret, which is it's not much money to get that book translated into uh, oh. in terms of what I would get. Like, oh, boy, yeah. sure would be nice to, to get it into France and get a thousand dollars for it. Hooray. Yeah. Well, that's going to over the course of a year. Yeah, that's going to that's going to change my life. Hooray. So, yeah, would I love to see Sheldon in Dargard or Delcor or whatever the big French publishers are. It, there, there's still a part of me that's that 29 year old that would love to see that happen. But it's mm-hmm. not going to change my life. It's not going to bring in any money uh, and yeah. probably wouldn't sell that well because it's kind of American focused, you know. Um, now, yes, I know that's American centric to say that the French wouldn't get it or they wouldn't like it, but in the same regard that like there are French comics that I as American wouldn't want to read. Like I'd be like, well, yeah, that's not American and sector. In other words, if you take a look at the French comic scene, they've got a, they've, they've got their own, they've, they've got their own culture of comics and, and your stuff and my stuff might not be a particularly good fit for that. That's true of Korean comics. That's true of the comic scene in Japan. Uh, it, 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 it's kind of, uh, it, it's it's a little bit much for me to assume 
that my comic has international appeal. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? I, it, I'm, I'm lucky if it has regional appeal, <laughs> yeah. let alone international. And Brad will agree with this. Both he and I, even with Drive and Evil Link, we come from an American comic strip tradition, right? Yes. And so, yes, that, of course, was brought over after World War II to Europe with, um, with American newspapers being reprinted or distributed uh, after the war, right? So Germans love mm-hmm. American comic strips style northern europeans love american comic strip style the french eh, not so much like if they, they're okay with it but they really prefer the albums and the bande dessinée that are that are gorgeously drawn that uniquely sized page that's not quite marvel not quite dc a little bit taller a little bit the four color process is gorgeous the, pa- the, the oh, paper yeah. quality is gorgeous um Australians love American newspaper style. You know, like we can go around the world. Uh, Japanese, eh, a little bit they do, a little bit they don't. They like Snoopy. They, you know, the, Snoopy's great, but everybody else can go to hell, basically. Um, exactly. And so, uh, like, if you take your individual property around the world, you might find, like, I could probably print Sheldon in Germany or in the Netherlands, and it would do okay, right? But, mm-hmm. okay, great, I've done that. I've made $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 from that. O- okay, what to what end now? Is it just that? I got two grand? I mean, like, I guess what I'm saying is, what's your grander plan in taking Sheldon or Evil Link archives overseas and publishing there? Um, right. If it's, what's the end game? Because if it's that? money, it's not a lot of money. And if it's growing your audience, mm-hmm. well, you're growing your now German speaking audience to go where you don't have a German Sheldon site. So right. uh, you got to, they've got to wait for the next book, which might never be produced because it only sold a few hundred thousand, co- a few th- hundred or thousand copies, you know, that kind of thing. So oh, exactly. I'm, in other words, if you think that, uh, making only a thousand dollars is, is underwhelming. Imagine how the publisher feels in that situation. We picked up this American artist and, you know, didn't do so great. Uh, you know, we, we only cut a check for a thousand for this guy. Uh, and, and this other person is doing uh, much better. But of course, they're they're swimming in the culture. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's not good for anybody around. Uh, Dave doesn't do good out of it. And the publisher that picked him up uh, might not be that thrilled with it either. And isn't going to do a second book. Yeah, and a part of this is, remember how we were talking about Brad last week? Because we know comics and we know how hard it is to get like a new title into Marvel, right? But we, mm-hmm. we kind of do a little uh, hands over ours and go, but I bet it would be easier to get a movie made by Paramount, right? Like that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. A part of it is also like as Americans, we assume like, well, the French comic market, there must be money flowing through France. That's got to be an amazing market. <laughs> Meanwhile, you talk to a French artist and they're like, well, I've had beans again today. That's... That's been yeah. real lovely. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, so yeah. it's not like the money is flowing in the overseas market. The only way it works for somebody, like, um, like if uh, let's say a mouse or a Watchmen mm-hmm. gets reprinted uh, elsewhere in the world, they get the benefit of the market, the U.S. marketing that did Gangbusters, that then kind of washes over the worldwide market, right? So there's sort of a rising tide for Watchmen when it gets translated into French. Um, the deals are better because it's with a better, bigger publisher than Brad or I could get, who would, we would get the Podunk mm-hmm. publisher, right? And then it has a better distribution model because it's it, they they put the investment in it, they put the marketing money in it, which Brad and I wouldn't get. All of which is to say, if in your mind's eye you're thinking, oh, it's going to be easy to bring it to a foreign market because Watchmen sells really well or Mouse sells really well or Bone sells really well, it's not going to be the same with you as an independent going to a much smaller publisher, which is who would pick you up. Uh, and distributed in a much smaller way in Europe or elsewhere. Right, Brad? 
Mm-hmm. I think the appeal to this pretty much uh, boils down to one word, and that word is Hasselhoff. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you what I mean. I know exactly where you're going with this, and I'm here for I, it. Go ahead. <laughs> I think the dream there is that you fi- that, that you go to this uh, foreign publisher, whichever market that is, and uh, you discover that much like David Has- Hasselhoff is a god among men in Germany, you find out that you're this great cult hit in some other place that's not here, right? It's like you're, you're kind of struggling here, and, and then it's like, oh, but it, it doesn't matter. It's not doing that, that great here. But in uh, Belgium, I can't cross the street unaccosted because I'm a, in the Mel Brooks uh, phrase, he's, he's world famous in Poland. <laughs> you know? uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's the appeal of this is like rolling the dice to find out if you're a Hasselhoff. Uh, and I, j- but the thing about it is, is that if I was a Hasselhoff, uh, having done a few Kickstarters, I would know by now. I'd be putting a, a truck full of packages uh, going out to Germany. I, and God knows I'd love to find out that I was uh, a, a, some kind of a big hit in Japan right. so I could have right. uh, a tax-deductible reason to visit Tokyo more often. Uh, I would love that. I just don't think it's I don't think it's realistic. Yeah. And I think that there are other things that are much more worth my time that are realistic. Right, because you know what's one of the most efficient distribution systems ever invented? The internet. And so I can yeah. tell you <laughs> I can tell you from my server logs that seventy five percent of my readership for both Sheldon and Drive, American. 10% Canadian, yep. 5% UK, yep. another 3% Australia, another three to five percent Germany, yep. another two to three percent Northern Europe. That's it. Like you can drill yep. down into individual countries. France, not so great. Japan, not so great. <laughs> and frankly, the people that are in France and Japan reading Sheldon, I've heard from a lot of them. And they're like, I teach an ESL class in uh, just outside of Kyoto. <laughs> and I use Sheldon all the time for my ESL class. I'm like, oh, that's what all those hits yeah. from Kyoto are from. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, it now it's sense. all clicking together. So it's like, I know yeah. because I have this incredibly efficient distribution model, the web, that right. I can reach anybody in the world. But it's not like Saudi Arabia is beating a path down my door to read Sheldon. It's not it's, right. it's not like Belgium is like, oh, this is fantastic. I've got to read more Sheldon. But like people in right. Canada loving it, the United States loving it, Australia loving it, Northern European love it. Uh, but, you know. It's not like the Czech audience is di- hitting my door down, dying to get in to, to publish a Sheldon book. So um, this is another way of saying Brad and I also have quantitative proof that it wouldn't do great in France. I've been giving it away free for right. 20 years, and it's yes, not like the French yes. audience is you know, beating a path to my door. <laughs> They're like, there's a few hundred, maybe maybe on a lucky year, a thousand uh, French readers, but... It's you know it's it's not like it's gangbusters. Yeah. It's not gonna it's not gonna make a career. Yeah, let, let's put. I think I can put a button on this one by saying that if you were a half a half a half half a half, that's him drunk. I think I can put a button. Yeah, I think I can put a button on this by saying if you were a Hasselhoff, your car would have talked to you. <laughs> <by> <laughs> And it would have probably said something like this. You've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. 
Your hosts have been the ever-delightful Brad Geiger, huge in Japan. He can't get off a plane. He's also the editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And the world-famous in the Czech Republic, Dave Kellett, co-director of Stripped and cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. I just wish that I was popular in the Czech Republic. I would love to go to Prague. Prague is a gorgeous city. Yes, Yes, the city or of Amsterdam. Spires. Have you ever been to Prague? It is downright gorgeous. And the goulash mwah, is amazing. Oh. <laughs> I had cooked deer in, in, the, in Prague one time that would set your soul on fire. Anyway, the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode and all episodes was edited by the ever-delightful Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. Comic Lab is made... Po- I had to check Republic food one time. I'm telling you that food was fit for a king. Here, king. Here, king. Uh, Comic ah! Lab is made... <laughs> Comic Lab is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. God damn it, uh, don't keep doing the jokes. <laughs> That's going to be so nice that we're going to say it twice. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. And please send your murder notes from Prague to Brad Geiger, courtesy of Brad Geiger in Philadelphia, PA. God knows he won't be able to read them. <laughs> I'll have to find a publisher to translate them. All right, Brad, quick check, uh, check story, a Prague yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, I'm 19, maybe 20 years old, and I'm in Prague, and I'm having a dinner, and there's this wine that's amazing. <sighs> and I'm 20. I don't know wine from Adam, but this was an yeah. amazing wine. And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to bring this home for <gasps> mom and dad. Oh, won't this be nice? I'll bring this wine back from the Czech Republic for mom and dad. And... I'm backpacking across Europe, so I put it at the bottom. I wrap it up really well in yeah. plastic, and then I put it in cardboard, and I carry this damn thing all across Europe. I carry it down to Budapest. I carry it up to Berlin. I carry it over here. I go to Paris. I go to all these different places, right? I'm carrying this damn bottle of wine, which yeah. if you're backpacking, every ounce counts, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. And I bring it to my mom and dad, and I we open <gasps> it up back in San Diego, and, and they're like, oh, how lovely. You brought this all, all the way from Prague. How lovely. Oh, my goodness. How lovely. Thank you so much, David. Oh, what a sweet boy. And I go to put it up in their wine closet, Brad. And I swear to God, the same damn bottle is up in their wine closet. And I go, wait a minute. Where did you get this? And my dad goes, oh, I didn't want to say anything. They sell that at Costco. And I was like, God damn it. I'm going to murder somebody. <laughs> They had a three-for-one session down at the Walgreens. <laughs> yeah, that's the deepest thing. I think it was cheaper at oh. Costco than what I paid for it in Prague. Oh, my God. That's that's fantastic. But it tasted good. That's the important thing. Uh, yeah, and I... <laughs> It tasted like I had lugged around the extra half pound all around Europe is what it tasted like.